Welcome to the Edge of Sports podcast brought to you by The Nation magazine. This week we are doing basketball butterfly effect with Hoop Savant, Arya Shirazi. So thrilled to be keeping this series alive. This week I'm really excited about. We are going to look at the two biggest stars of the last quarter century. One in the East and one in the West. Two people who played in 11 straight finals while their careers intersected, and yet they never played each other. The odds, the odds of that. Of course, I'm talking about LeBron James and Kobe Bean Bryant. Why didn't they play one another? And what kind of butterfly effect could have changed that? And does a relationship between a player and a teammate's parents have anything to do with it? Hmm. Oh my. Let's find out here on Edge of Sports. Arya Shirazi, how are you, sir? Very good, my friend. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me back. Happy New Year indeed. So I want to start with you by asking, giving us a baseline for the discussion. Give me a compare and contrast of LeBron and Kobe, their games, and what would have made a finals clash between them so memorable. Well, uh, I, I was also looking forward to this discussion because the talks that we've had in the past have all been centered around a single move, uh, specifically a move, a draft decision or a couple of draft decisions that cascade had a cascading uh, and resonant effect on the players and the league involved. Uh, with this episode, really, we're talking about a 15-year span of the NBA. We are talking about, in a way, the history of the league over that decade and a half time frame. Uh, I actually believe that it was 12 straight finals appearances that was represented by one of those two and never uh, and never against each other, which is uh, uh, which is somewhat amazing, actually, uh, because, you know, really, we're talking about with all due respect to Tim Duncan, whose career and whose championship years uh, spanned both of these players as well. Uh, I really consider, you know, these players in a way the uh, foundational league pieces during that time with the Kobe kind of passing the baton to LeBron, uh, at, you know, as kind of the face and at the top of the league. And there's actually, as we will discuss, there's about a three or four year period in this time frame where Kobe and LeBron are arguably, or actually, you know, in a way, inarguably, the top two players in the league. And it is during that time frame that, uh, uh, where it, it's the climate is most ripe for them and their squads to meet in the finals 
and somehow year after year it doesn't happen. Uh, as far as their games go, uh, you know, Kobe is is the classic shooting guard. I mean, is if you had to design, if I had to design a shooting guard, it would be the uh, the body and dimensions and game of Kobe Bryant, possibly the most complete offensive player of all time, just as far as scoring, could get anywhere he wanted on the court. Uh, in his first 10 years, had beyond elite athleticism. Uh, and also the ultra fundamentals, uh, you know, and he was somewhat, uh, you know, famously fanatical for his regimen and his workouts and his preparation uh, kind of rooted in the fundamentals of the game and being elite in just about every facet of the game. And as his athleticism started to wane, uh, he was still uh, one of the very top scorers and shooters in the league. LeBron, uh, Never seen anybody like him, never been anybody like him, both in his presentation and his career. Uh, truly an NFL linebacker, an elite NFL linebacker, a frightening NFL linebacker playing small forward in the NBA. But that's also if that elite NBA linebacker was six, eight. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the power and athleticism uh, in a way unmatched in any player in any era, uh, could also in, get to wherever he wanted to on the court, get to the basket seemingly at will, but in a completely different way than Kobe. If Kobe was the smoothest player on the court at all time, LeBron was not. Uh, always in, you know, perennially in danger of losing that dribble and somehow keeping it uh, and being able to complete the play. Uh, at times dribbling with his head down as he barreled through uh, multiple defenders to get to the basket. Uh, before I wrap up, I'll say that what binds them is the incredible clutch play. Will to win and determination are cliches that I've never been particularly interested in thinking about or discussing at least, but, uh, but clutch play is a matter of record. And those two guys uh, spanning well over a decade that they were doing it, LeBron for multiple teams, Kobe for one team uh, are two of the greatest uh, clutch players, clutch shooters, clutch scorers ever and that ultimately is one of the defining traits that elevated them to a status uh above the other multiple hall of famers that they played against well you know i think uh before we go through the years themselves i agree with what you're saying i mean it's like when you have lebron james who at his athletic peak you could at least make the argument this is the fastest player in the league in that category, dribbling the ball. He can jump the highest, and he also may be the strongest. 
And in that regard, there is no NBA player to compare him to. Uh, the closest I come is Bo Jackson, like somebody who just looks physically different and not only can run you over, but can run past you. But he's also um, LeBron, according to Zach Lowe, who's a podcaster I respect. He always describes LeBron as also one of the smartest. Like he calls him the ultimate chess master, supercomputer for a brain. And in Kobe, I think this one of the things that Shaq really got wrong was when he nicknamed Tim Duncan Big Fundamentals. As funny as that is. Kobe is Big Fundamentals. His fundamentals are exquisite, and he's a world-class athlete, and he's a wing. LeBron's fundamentals are not exquisite. That's the one thing about him that's not world-class. He's had to change his shooting motion, blah, blah, blah. It always, it always looks a tad wanky. It always has. Um, but Kobe, I mean, is water. Just an unbelievable player to watch. And I think even though, you know, LeBron probably outweighs Kobe at their peak by like 40 pounds and is taller, because they're both wings, they would have been switching on each other a lot in this finals. And how cool would have that have been? Just a ton of head-to-heads of LeBron and Kobe. That's just a lot of star power. And while I agree with you that will to win is a cliche, both these guys... You know, whether this was more for public presentation or whether it actually worked with their NBA teammates, you know, they get in people's faces. They get in that ass. And that would have been interesting, too, because that's something that Tim Duncan, you know, that just wasn't part of his personality or his game. Like two people whose blood really runs hot for basketball, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, two people who... If they had, and the only person I've ever met like this is or seen is Magic. Like, if they could have played forever, they'd play forever, no matter the grind. I mean, Kobe had to retire kicking and screaming and scored 60 in his last game just to give a big fuck you to everybody. The best last game in history. And LeBron is almost 40 as we do this podcast. And it's just absurd. It's just absurd. Um, so that's why I think it would have been so amazing. So you ready to go through some years? Yes, I am. I love the Bo Jackson comparison, uh, with LeBron, uh, Bo still the greatest football player that I've ever seen play football. Uh, the dip, you know, uh, the difference being Bo's professional prime in both sports or either sport was about three years, which, which to those who live, who witnessed those three years just adds to the legend of Bo Jackson. As you just said, LeBron has been that guy, the, the strongest, the fastest, the most athletic seemingly forever. There is nobody uh, he is in his 21st year now. Uh, and that is staggering to say because of who uh, who he still is. Uh, you know, nobody, exactly. I think, in any sport has ever or will ever uh, have a career like LeBron James. It's been unbelievable. 
But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, it, it, it's something else. I mean, Brady comes to mind just because of the spanning of the eras. But, I mean, just the fact that LeBron still does 25-7-7 seven, and seven is ridiculous because you and I both were fans of people like the Chief, Robert Parrish or Kevin Willis. And they played into their 40s, but they were rocking like four points, three rebounds, you know, dude on the bench. For the last eight years of those runs, they were ancient. Yes. Yes. In but other words, they were terrible. 13 for 18 every single game still. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, so let's go through these years. By the way, for the historical record, uh, you were correct about that they were in 12 straight finals. But the, I am correct, haha, that I said 11 because I was cutting it off at 2016 because that's when Kobe retires. You cut it off at 2017 because LeBron played in 2017. Hence our difference. We're both right, as usual. Yes. <laughs> like that call the other night. I don't know if you watched uh, Celtics T-Wolves. But I've never seen this in my life. Carl Anthony Towns like ran over Derek White, and one person called a charge, and when the other ref called uh, um, a fucking block, and so you know what they decided? They decided to call it a double foul, and then they did a jump ball. It was both block and charge, and with that, the physical matter of the universe ripped apart. I've often defended referee uh, refereeing because uh, it's it's thankless and really really hard. Uh, but at this point, I think you know they're often just making it up as they go along. That was ridiculous. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to name a finals, say who defeated who, and then I want you to tell me why the player who's not there didn't make the finals to play against the one who was there. And hopefully we'll get some collective wisdom. Does that sound good? Sure. All right. 2007. This is when it begins. The San Antonio Spurs defeat the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James four games to zero. Why was Kobe not in those finals, dude? Okay. Well, let me give a short lead up to that first. Please. Uh, to that first uh, finals appearance of this. Uh, of this time span. Uh, LeBron enters the league four years earlier in into a league, enters much, much hyped, possibly the most hyped uh, out of high school, into a league that has been and is still run by Shaq and Kobe. So instantly, he is coming in, in a way, into the shadow of Kobe Bryant. In 2003, when LeBron is drafted, uh, the Lakers' run of three straight championships has ended uh, as they have been uh, be uh, beaten and then uh, replaced as champion by the Spurs uh, in, in kind of a very validating finals victory for uh, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, and Greg Popovich. They had won four years earlier during the strike year, uh, and everything having to do with that 99 season kind of has an asterisk. Uh, and coming out of those three years of true Laker dominance, uh, 
uh, as I said, it's a very uh, validating championship for the Spurs. And then, of course, they go on to add several more. But uh, the response to being knocked off by San Antonio for the Lakers is to acquire Gary Payton and Carl Malone. Uh, I remember at the time I was horrified by that. Uh, you know, amidst the Shaq and Kobe warring, and they were already at odds. There was already a friction even coming off those championship years. Uh, they retool with those two veteran Hall of Famers. Uh, and fortunately, during that year, Gary Payton goes from what was still a top five point guard into uh, an aging player on the back end of his career uh, is not the difference maker uh, that I really feared he would be. And the Lakers kind of amidst uh, a tumultuous locker room uh, lose in five games to the Detroit Pistons, the less, uh, far less superstar powered Pistons and Shaq leaves. And then goes to Miami, where just in his second year, he and Dwayne Wade lead the Heat to a championship. So I launched into that whole little you know, little kind of uh, intro just to say that Shaq and Kobe play a huge role in the league that LeBron steps into. So you were talking about the 2007 uh, finals. Uh, as you had said, the Cavaliers are swept by the Spurs. And that is a crucial, crucial year in, of course, the history and evolution of LeBron and also huge in this discussion because uh, it is somewhat of a premature finals appearance for LeBron and the Cavs. Uh, we had, I just talked about the Pistons knocking off the uh, the Lakers in the first of back-to-back -back fi uh, finals appearances. Larry Brown sets up that championship recipe for the Pistons, passes it along to the uh, more player-friendly Flip Saunders, and the Pistons have a couple of uh, knockout regular seasons, really dominate the Eastern Conference in 06 and 07. I have all-stars one year. Right, and don't make it to the finals either year. First one's a little more understandable because they run up against uh, Shaq and Wade en route to a championship for them. But uh, in 2007, the Pistons, again, as the number one seed, still, as you said, with that all-star core that they've been rocking, which has already made a couple of finals appearances, uh, in a major upset, go down to the Cavaliers. So in his fourth season and just his second postseason appearance, LeBron has led the Cavaliers to representing the Eastern Conference in the finals. Uh, they get their asses kicked. I had recalled that Cavs squad is one of the weakest uh, squads to be in the finals. I checked up on that team again uh, this morning in advance of this discussion. And while they might not... Uh, they might not really resemble a true finals contender, 
they're not quite the bummy squad that I remembered. Uh, he's running with uh, Tilkowskis, Drew Gooden, Larry Hughes, Donnie O'Marshall, Eric Snow. Uh, again, if not uh, a championship team, uh, uh, a fun team to think about in in retrospect now. You've anyway, got to be kidding me. <laughs> you're uh, like it was a great team eric snow danielle marshall dude well you know those guys had such determination and will to win yes so uh <laughs> eric so snow. as i said a little bit ahead of schedule lebron and the cavaliers are in the finals which sets a precedent and sets an expectation for the rest of his first stint in Cleveland, making that somewhat surprising appearance in the finals at that time. What's going on with the Lakers at that time is that after a one-year hiatus, Phil Jackson has returned. Uh, Shaq's no longer there, which means that the team is worse. But Kobe's still unhappy. He, he's he's grumbling for a few seasons, putting up huge individual numbers, but also running with a fairly uh, pedestrian and uninspiring roster. Uh, a, a young Andrew Bynum right out of high school, Lamar Odom, Luke Walton, and famously sharing a backcourt with Smush Parker. Uh they make a couple of first round exits in the playoffs, including in in 2007. And LeBron and Kobe is very publicly unhappy and wanting out of Los Angeles. So in that first finals year of 2007, uh, the Lakers do not have a team that is going to make a serious run at the finals and the Cavaliers have now established that uh, this isn't just a young player, uh, in-state player who's gonna sell a lot, of, a lot of tickets. This is a player who has shown himself already capable of, uh, of taking a fairly average roster to the finals. Okay, so let's go to 2008. Nicely done. Let's go to 2008. Uh, now, Pau Gasol is on the Lakers, which proves something, two things. One, that trade was very interesting because everybody laughed at the Memphis Grizzlies who ended up getting Marc Gasol, who people were like, Marc Gasol, that's like the, you know, who, who would be Frank Stallone of the NBA. But he wasn't Frank Stallone. Marcus Gasol is a champion. Far superior to Frank. <laughs> in every way, superior to Frank. Um, except in the boudoir. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Frank Stallone was quite the player. Just for folks who didn't know. Um, I've heard that. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It, it proved, finally, like, yo, Kobe, you can't do this by yourself. Like, it, that was a big deal. Like, which I think LeBron got that message too. I mean, it's like you can't just be this great player and lead a team to a championship. You need other really good players. And Gasol, Pau Gasol is a Hall of Famer. So they brought in a Hall of Famer, and that changed everything. Now, the Boston Celtics, of course, 
preordained, Garnett, all the rest of it. But with this question too, and I'm sure you're going to start a little earlier than what I'm asking, but 2008, Celtics, Lakers, why didn't LeBron and Kobe meet in those finals? That would have been perfect. Well, yes. Uh, The big move that happens is uh, the Boston Celtics acquiring Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. That completely shakes up the Eastern Conference and the entire NBA. And as you said, preordained kind of from start to finish, they're the front runners in, uh, in what winds up being a successful championship season. Uh, Pau Gasol is acquired midway through that year. Uh, the Lakers uh, are somewhat resembling the team that they've had for the past couple of years. They brought back Derek Fisher. Uh, which is certainly an upgrade both on the court and spiritually over Smush Parker uh, in the backcourt. But but that team is still kind of in the middle of the Western Conference pack. And again, the fact that Shaq has gone to Miami and has already acquired another championship ring weighs huge on Kobe who has always been a very legacy-minded player. And again, he's openly wondering if he's going to get the chance to compete for another championship uh, uh, by staying on the Lakers. Well, can I interrupt real quick? Because you said something important. Um, Because it reflects to our, I'll be quick, our previous discussion about what would have made a finals between them so badass. I think one of them is the fact that in LeBron and Kobe, you have two of the most legacy-minded players ever. Like ring counters of the first order, both of them. Historical legacy, always on their mind. I always got the feeling from Tim Duncan that as soon as he won his first ring, it's like, yeah, I'm the best power forward of all time, and I'm like 26. So everything else is gravy, you know? But these guys, they're not content for the gravy, man. They want the whole turkey. But go ahead, please. Absolutely. And these guys, again, Duncan, uh, you know, measuring himself up against other big men, other power forwards. Uh, Kobe and LeBron are coming in in the shadow and the legacy of magic and particularly jordan uh you know which are the hot just about the highest measuring sticks you can take so they come in as you said very mindful of uh who came directly before them and how they're ultimately going to measure up to uh to those guys so uh the one thing that i will disagree with you on is I feel as though 2008 was one year before uh, this finals matchup uh, that never happened should have occurred. 2008 was the year of the Celtics. It was the year of the Celtics. And the Lakers acquire Powell, uh, the acquisition of Powell, and his time on the Lakers is what turns him into a Hall of Famer. Powell was an all-star power forward on the Grizzlies when he was brought in. And it was not uh, it was not a slam dunk 
that he that his pairing with Kobe was going to put them atop the West. The fact that it did and they got two championships out of it is what elevates and has elevated Gasol's reputation in his career. At that time, he was a very, very good player. It turned out to be the perfect complement and the perfect combination. But also seeing the moves that the Celtics are making and already mindful, I think the Cavaliers are already mindful. They're already looking at LeBron's contract coming up in 2010 and even being a, a ohio guy they are aware that uh that it is that 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 it's cleveland and lebron again has proven himself to not just be a transcendent player even a generational player to be a once in a lifetime player and so uh, I think as early as 08, again, reacting as much of the league tried to do to the moves and uh, that the Celtics made, uh, uh, Cleveland starts going into a bit of a scramble mode or a, a bit of a desperation mode and starts shuttling players in, trying to find the right combination to put uh to put around LeBron to get back to the finals. They bring in Ben Wallace. They bring in Wally Zerbiak. They bring in Delonte West, who will play a uh, a bigger role for uh, some of the wrong reasons uh, in the rest of the times, uh, LeBron's time in Cleveland. They start uh, uh, bringing in some names to try to move to the back, to the top of the uh of the East, it does not happen that year. The Celtics defeat the Lakers in the finals, and it's really the next year that I think is yeah. uh, begins the three or four year period uh, that uh, 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 that truly constituted the missed opportunity. I agree with you, and this is the first. I believe the GM was Danny Ferry on that Cleveland correct roster, and I got to tell you, like. If we're asking the question, why didn't Kobe play LeBron in the finals? I think a lot of the blame does go on to Danny Ferry because these moves are hot trash. Like you look at, I mean, you look at this roster and it's like Booby Gibson is a top four player on this team. Booby, top four player. And he was a rookie. Oh no, he was a first year. It was his, uh, yeah, he'd already played one year, whatever. The point about Booby, though, is nothing. The point is the roster is terrible, and it's not like it was some big secret that the Celtics were landing first Allen. Remember, that trade happened, and that was Allen coming off like a 24-point-a-game season with Seattle, you know, a bonafide star to join with Pierce and then Garnett. It's like GMs, I mean – the idea that he could go into battle with that team with this with this roster is an embarrassment to Danny Ferry. He later embarrassed himself in other ways by making fun of Luol Deng from being from Africa, but this was a forerunner of that. The kind of an embarrassing life for Ferry, actually. Yeah, fam- famous or infamous in college for being the guy who would hit you in the balls when you would go up for a shot. That's not good. No question that he's a douchebag. 
so so it's like to me it's like why didn't these two play each other one reason is this is this just hot trash roster that I'm looking at right now I mean as great as the Celtics were it's like come on give us something I just think if that happened today I just think today's GMs would have been so quick on this that you would have had a not a different result because these Celtics were preordained and Pierce who wasn't old yet, um, really could could play LeBron really well, straight up. Better than most, that's for sure. Which is strange, but true. Uh, <laughs> Given that he was stabbed so many times. I agree with your entire assessment, and uh, and I'm certainly not trying to defend Danny Ferry in the slightest. Uh, it is really uh but but i can understand you see the you see the reason that certain moves are made and they turn out to be the wrong ones or the Cavs management always turns out to be like a half season behind understanding what they have to do but in 07 they make a surprise finals appearance in 08 it's reacting to Boston. So then, yes, it was on Ferry to upgrade the roster sufficiently. And I think that going into that season, the big move that's made is bringing in Mo Williams, who actually turns out to be very good for for Cleveland. Uh, But if Mo is your second best player, uh, that's not good enough. And I think that that really is, you know, kind of speaks volumes. But, and again, I'm not defending Ferry, but in 2009, the Cavaliers win 66 games, which largely the same roster uh, that they ended the previous season with. LeBron wins the first of his MVPs. So, and and uh, and Cleveland has the most wins in the league that season. That should have been so, the year, right? I mean, that is the first. So what I mean is the idea that season, Cleveland's looking at their team as good enough in a way, looking at their team as we are the team to beat. Boston does not recapture that magic. Garnett is hurt, is in and out of the lineup. I think Rondo also misses some time. So Boston is not able to uh, is not able to duplicate their success. The Lakers, as defending Western champions, uh, win sixty five games. So those two, Cleveland and LA, that year are at the absolute top of the league, and and. Uh, and all signs should be pointed towards a finals meeting. Kobe's Lakers running largely the same squad, running back the same squad that lost to Boston the previous year, makes it back to the finals. And Cleveland loses in the Eastern finals to a uh, – to an even less talented, in my opinion, Orlando Magic Squad. And I think, go ahead. Well, I had to come in there because 
we should dissect the reasons why the Cavs didn't get past the Magic. But the one thing I don't want to over overlook is that, yes, those Cavs won 66 games. But let's pretend for a second, right now, you and I did a draft of who we would take in those Magic and Cleveland teams. And I think the draft would go something like this. One, LeBron. Two, Orlando, Dwight Howard. Three, Orlando, Hito Turkoglu. Fourth, Orlando, Rashard Lewis. Fifth, Orlando, Jameer Nelson. Until you get yeah, to sixth, right. you have to wait till you get to sixth to get a player as good as those last four. So, yeah, right. you know, so, so that, that's a good squad in Orlando. And I don't want to lose sight of that as we start talking about how the Cavs blew it. No, I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. Uh, and that is kind of, uh, yes, when you take it player by player, clearly uh, a Dwight a team led by Dwight Howard should not compete on the level as a team led by LeBron James. But you're right. Those players, the rest of that starting lineup surrounding Howard, uh, are not only better players, actually, than Cleveland had, but the perfect players to surround uh, Dwight Howard at that time. The Cavs, again, kind of maybe having a fool's gold perspective because of their regular season success, right, are still running with uh, Mo Williams, uh, Varejao, uh, Ilgauskas. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, so that is really the year. Then the Lakers go on, handle Orlando fairly easily. Uh, would they have uh, beaten the Cavaliers as handily? Talking player by player, uh, it's easy to say yes, but who knows? That's LeBron kind of at the very top, you know, absolutely at the top of the league. And again, we've now entered into that incredibly fertile period where Kobe and LeBron are really one in the East, one in the West, where, uh, where they're really uh, the two best players in, in the NBA and the success of their teams are, uh, are, are supporting that. So 09 is the huge year uh, of a missed opportunity on, on Cleveland's part that then rolls into the next season, which uh, which has a, a tangible level of pressure under it the entire time, uh, hanging, you know, Mike Brown being, you know, a lame duck who's winning a lot of games uh, and, you know, with an eye towards LeBron's free agency uh, in the off season and the thinking is championship or bust really is uh, if LeBron wins a championship in Cleveland or maybe even represents Cleveland in the finals, that should be enough to, uh, uh, to extend him, to have him uh, stay, stay a Cavalier. Uh, again, they, they finish, uh, they win 61 games. They're the one seed going into the playoffs and uh, they have finally taken steps to upgrade the roster, or so they hope. Uh, they brought in Shaquille O'Neal, uh, who is uh, 
is is aging now, both in his performance and in his health and reliability. And uh, and while a huge name, it is not the Shaq, uh, even of a few years earlier from Miami or even Phoenix, and does not turn out to be close to the move that they hope. And then midseason, even as they're cruising as the number one team in the East, they bring in Antoine Jameson, still an all-star power forward in a move that I thought, being, being a big Jameson fan for his career, I thought this, uh, that that might be the final piece to put Cleveland over the top in the East. Uh, it's the second of LeBron's back-to-back championship seasons, so he continues his incredible play. Uh, and uh, once again, they experience playoff uh, disappointment, this time in the second round, going down to uh, to uh, the Celtics. Mm. Now... Going down to the South, that was also a wasted opportunity because wasn't that Celtic? That Celtics team was older. Garnett, not nearly as dominant. Uh, Kendrick Perkins, who was a, a vital part of that team, even though he's become somewhat clownish, is, you know, you know, you got Glenn Big Baby Davis and Nate Robinson playing critical roles. You know, this team was ripe for the taking. This was not like the preordained team of even a couple years ago. Cleveland losing that series is catastrophic. 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 Mm -hmm. All of the excuses are out the window for exactly the reasons that you just outlined. The Celtics were not the Celtics of two years earlier. Uh, And LeBron was three years removed from being the phenom who surprisingly led Cleveland to the finals. Now they seemingly had a team built to go to the finals and, and in their mind, win it where they would have met Kobe's Lakers who, uh, who make their third straight finals appearance and come in as the defending champions. Wow. You know, and this is also the year that you have to say that LeBron rumors, maybe someday we'll hear the truth. People asked if he had quit on his team during that series against the Celtics. That was before the last game in that series. I think it was seven games. I can't remember. It might've been six, but in that last game, I do remember he played his butt off. He didn't do the scoring, but he was like 28 points, 20 rebounds. I do remember that line that he got 20 boards because I was like, how can people say he doesn't care if he's grabbing 20 boards? But there were just some weird moments in that series where LeBron seemed to truly check out. And the rumors that apparently were flowing through the locker room in the press was that uh, Delonte West was having a relationship with LeBron's mom, you know, two consenting adults. And uh, whether those rumors were true or not, they certainly reached LeBron's ears. And he made several cryptic comments about that were effectively like everybody was talking about something and then just lying to my face as if, you know, they weren't. 
So when that all went down, I remember saying to myself, there's no way LeBron is staying in Cleveland. No freaking way. And that's when I thought he was going to the Knicks. Why would he go to a team that already has an established superstar who won a ring? Why would he be willing to play, at least from a publicity perspective, a second fiddle? Why would he want to go somewhere without any real basketball tradition to speak of beyond, you know, a couple of spray tans and a championship? All right, they had a tradition, but not too much of one, consarnate. Um, It goes to this question, though. LeBron goes to Miami. What happened, Shiraz? And then what happened in that finals with the Mavs? And where the heck were the Kobe Lakers? Well, again, and you, and you, you, you laid it out uh, perfectly. Uh, because of the era in which these two guys played, because we're talking about uh, the 21st century, uh, their lives in many ways have been on display. Uh, and both of these guys, you just mentioned, uh, you know, the rumors or fact about uh, LeBron's mom's relationship with Delonte West. Unusual choice, I'd say. Uh, but, uh, you know, and of course, Kobe has had, you know, his share of off-court drama, public off-court drama. Uh and so, you know, both of these guys kind of as international superstars have been scrutinized both, uh, you know, for their on-court performance and for things that have come out uh, about, about their personal lives. Uh, and, and now, I mean, now that LeBron has had 13 more years of legendary play uh it's somewhat hard to remember or at least it's it's uh, seldom discussed the questions that have uh been asked about lebron over the years particularly before he was able to win a championship uh uh questions about lebron's confidence have come up questions about lebron's play clutch play uh, have have uh, have come up in the past, or had come up, particularly in his uh, first Cleveland years, and and even in his very early, uh, in his first year in Miami, when some of those questions were still kind of in the air. Uh, LeBron was was uh, uh, was not a clutch free throw shooter for a long time. Uh, you know, he was he was he was missing important fourth quarter free throws, and was you know, uh, which Kobe was never. Kobe was the ultimate clutch player. And if Kobe stepped to the line in big moments, I mean, you know, you were shocked if both didn't go down. Mm. Uh, LeBron did not have that reputation. So, uh, you know, so even for someone coming off his second most valuable player and really, you know, by, by this time, the most famous basketball player in the world, there were a lot of questions still around about uh, LeBron's ability as a winner uh, uh, th that were alive when he decided to make his uh, his exit from 
Cleveland. But again, the path, the two seasons we've just talked about, 2009 and 2010, were, uh, while the window for both was a little wider, those are the two years. Those, those are the huge blown opportunities. Kobe was in the finals and won both years, and LeBron's Cavs entered as the number one seed, won 60 games both times, and he was the MVP of the league following LeBron, uh, Kobe's singular Most Valuable Player Award in 2008. So, again, the two guys at the top of the league, their teams seemingly at the top of the league. There was no better opportunity for that dream and uh, what seemed very uh, sensible, doable finals to occur than those two years, even though that then extended into uh, LeBron joining Miami. Yeah, and this is really, you're right. This is really where the story ends because Kobe tears his Achilles uh, and there's just, there's not a lot of there there at that point. And the Lakers become this squad that becomes kind of like, that represents the law of diminishing returns where they keep trying to surround Kobe with talent. But Kobe is starting to get, if you remember this period of Kobe's career, extremely acerbic like Kobe really did change his image a little bit and that speaks to something else like the the sexual assault charges coming out of Colorado this whole part of Kobe's career was critical rehab for his legacy because you know we live in an amoral sports world so you win championships all is forgiven so he wins championships he you know does his thing and, and LA forgives very quickly uh, but the, the thing about Kobe as well is that he's, he's, remember the beginning of his career, he was accused of being too robotic, too much like a Michael Jordan clone, uh, always trying to say the right thing. By this half of his career, he's talking about these young players and he's like, no way, not good enough, not up to my standards. Even though he was so hurt, he couldn't really play himself. So that's sort of how Kobe winded down his career. And then, of course, punctuating it with the 60-point game against the Jazz that people should go to YouTube and check out. Well, it's not quite as, as rapid as all that. Uh, that is absolutely the uh, pertinent sum up, but it is not instantaneous. First of all, as you were saying, or because of his untimely and tragic death, Kobe's image, I mean, has, has gotten such a makeover and has done almost a complete 180 from the, now he's the person that everybody looked up to that everybody admires. Uh, he was a mentor. He led by example. And he was also a film producer to boot. But Oscar winning film producer. <laughs> I mean, you know, the top of the top here. No, he won an uh, Oscar. Yes, I know. Okay. But <laughs> Kobe, I mean, even when he was 
winning uh, or winning games and building his legend as one of the greatest players ever, Kobe was not a guy that people wanted to play with. Oh, I remember that. That's right. No one talks about that. Particularly after Shaquille left, Kobe was a guy who was respected for his production and his fanatical, almost dictatorial bearing and regimen and commitment. But Kobe, uh, free agents were not flocking to play with Kobe. He was not known as... uh, as somebody that you necessarily wanted to link up with. And that's why, again, it was of such mutual benefit that Gasol did wind up being that guy uh, because he Powell never challenged Kobe's role as the dominant force, both on the court and personality and stature-wise, while also being a good enough second best player to win two championships and in the process uh, solidifying Powell's career as a Hall of Fame one rather than simply an all-star one. So it was great fortune that Gasol wound up becoming that guy, but Kobe was not that guy when he was an active player and especially before the injury. And, uh, and once LeBron joins Miami, of course, the Heat make four consecutive finals appearances. Uh, that first year, the Lakers are the defending champions. Kobe's healthy. Uh, it is, uh, again, it is now the big the big question was that was answered was that, is LeBron playing with good enough players to make it to the championship? He wasn't in Cleveland. He is in Miami. And so, again, it is all signs are pointing to that, to LeBron and Kobe meeting in the finals. Uh, the Lakers, I think, win uh, 57 games, come in as the number two seed. Uh, the the Spurs, who are the number one seed, are are shockingly knocked off by Memphis in the first round, taking them out, uh, seemingly making the path for L.A. to return to the finals even easier. And then they are stunningly swept by the Mavericks in the second round, who who then, of course, go on and upset the Heat. for for Dallas's and Nowitzki's only only championship. So the Mavs swept the Lakers? Yes, in the second round. And that was something that nobody... Gotta go back and look at that. And that was something that nobody saw coming at all because L.A. was largely running back. You know, it it was the, you know, the Bryant, Gasol, Odom, Fisher, oh, our test, (laughs) Lakers. So, I mean, it was, you know, with Phil. So it was very much, uh, you know, uh, and Kobe never makes it. That's the last appearance Kobe has in the finals. And one of the things that I always find, uh, uh, that I find very interesting about this discussion here is the first half, when LeBron's on Cleveland, we're talking about him uh, his appearance in the finals being elusive. 
and being frustrating and unsuccessful. Kobe, LeBron's the one who doesn't live up to that end. And while Kobe is making it three years in a row, James can't do it. Mm. Even when it seems as though, uh, uh, as, as though uh, that's the direction things are headed. Once LeBron joins Miami, and they become the team to beat in the entire NBA. Uh, it is LeBron, it is Kobe, who for those next few years is trying uh, to, to uh, trying to get the Lakers back up to be able to uh, to have that finals matchup and not being able to do it uh, after 2011. They. Uh, is is the other strike year where uh where you know it, it's everything's just a little bit wonky and I didn't remember hardly anything about that year I went back and looked uh uh and and and, and looked at it and and the Lakers again were uh they're one of the best teams in the west they Kobe was still healthy scoring I think you know over 25 points in a game uh, and clearly not, he clearly was not one and one A. LeBron was kind of alone as the dominant player in the NBA by that point, but it was still thought that Kobe with the right players around him might be able to still make another finals run. And it is the 2012 season, the 20, uh, the 20, the off season of 2012 for the 2013 season that they make their last ditch effort by acquiring Dwight Howard and Steve Nash to add to the Kobe and Gasol uh, core. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, the entire NBA world is kind of looking, Dwight is coming off his great run in Orlando. Uh, so it's looked at as, ooh, this could be, uh, this team looks like it could be serious. And again, uh, I think uh, the favorite at the beginning of the year is probably to see a Miami Lakers finals. Mm. Uh, and that team never gets on track. Uh, Kobe and Dwight famously don't get along. They never really mesh. Nash is not Nash. Nash is, is through. He's washed. So that seemingly huge addition never winds up bearing any, any fruit. And it is at the end of that year. I had thought it was much earlier. I see that Kobe played 78 games that year and played wow. them really well at a high level. I guess it's the 78th game he tears his Achilles. Oh. And the and and that is truly the end. So it was actually three years into LeBron for LeBron's first three years in Miami. Uh, the Lakers are still hoping in the conversation to make that finals matchup possible. Kobe is not broken. I had thought it was earlier too. He's not broken until the end of. 2013 uh when uh when that that dream truly ends and then lebron makes it in the finals a bunch more a bunch more years but uh but that's really the time frame that we're looking at with uh 
with LeBron looking to ascend to where Kobe is and not being able to get there at the same time, and then uh, the roles being switched. Amen to that. I mean, well, before we, you've been so generous with your time, we've gone on, but I don't want to stop without talking about a butterfly effect or two that could have changed things a little bit. I mean, we, I think people can intuit what we're talking about. Like, you know, if the Celtics don't put that team together, if Danny Ferry can get LeBron some help one year, if there isn't off-court drama one year. I mean, a lot of this is on LeBron's side of the ball, but Kobe, I mean, it's just like in that lost season playing 78 games. I mean, so impressed, and at his age at that time, and the way he played so impressive i mean but also it's like you think of today's players of kobe's caliber who might play 60 games and it's like as a fan you kind of get that you know why was kobe playing 78 games in in that crap season well because he loved ball but you know if he could have played longer that would have been awesome too a hidden butterfly effect in this shiraz check this out you weren't going to see this one coming the Phoenix Suns medical staff, a legendary staff that nursed Steve Nash back from Dallas, where all he had were problems with his back, and then gave Shaq this incredible stretch when Shaq was there for a few months. They got him into shape. He wasn't old Shaq, but he was like an all-star center, quality of play. Shaq goes to Cleveland to get his championship and to say, you know, I'm like the godfather and LeBron will be Michael or something like that, you know. Yeah, Shaq. And um, not a fan. Um, but, like, he, he's completely out of shape and a ruined self compared to even just a few months earlier in Phoenix. Steve Nash goes to the Lakers, falls apart. I, so I just think if the Phoenix medical staff had been there in LA or there in Cleveland, maybe a different outcome. Yes, but 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 that's also a leap, you know. I mean, it's uh, they were the Suns' medical staff, you know. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I, you I'm know, just saying this was close, man. Oh no, even you know the thing is, uh, it it, it was so much fun revisiting these years in preparation to talk about this with you uh because i realized like as i was looking at these two uh players and their teams during these years there's so many times that what that what the media wants what they want the matchup to be uh you know or you know uh, uh, this is the finals matchup that the league that Adam Silver and the, and the networks really, really want. I'm like, fuck that. Who cares about that? I don't, you know, I, I want the best basketball. I don't care about that. Uh, we missed out on, on, a, on these two meeting in the finals. And as we've been talking about, it could have happened in so many iterations. We're even trying to hold on to what if Steve Nash had been healthy in that year? We're looking at the very, very end you know, of them pull it, pulling it together. It is those, uh, you know, it is, you know, each year has its own beat, has its own rhythm. Uh, you know, it doesn't even have to be kind of a defining or a 
cataclysmic transaction or injury uh, that says, well, there's your answer. It's more, again, uh, even talking about it with you now, 2009 and 2010 and 2011. Again, I'd be interested in refamiliarizing myself with how and why Dallas handled the Lakers uh, the way they did in 2011, because uh, because it made sense that that the two-time defending champion Lakers would meet LeBron and Wade and Bosh in their first year together. Uh, I think that that was kind of, if not a foregone conclusion, uh, that was certainly the favorite to happen. So, right. So why did a team that, that, that looked like they were doing everything they needed to do throughout the regular season, why did they fold so spectacularly against a less star-studded Mavericks team the way that they did, you know? And, and that then, Mavericks team has become now the stuff of legend. And I'm sure looking back, we would say, ah, yes, an unstoppable force barreling towards history. Oh, but it didn't seem that way at the time. Not with J.J. Barea getting significant minutes. It, it, it was shocking and, and, and delightful. It was, it was delightful. Great. So great. Oh, I, I mean, that was one of the greatest, that, you know, they beat the Lakers and Miami in the first. And that's part of it. I mean, that actually says it, you know, what Dirk and the Mavs were able to do. He beat Kobe and then beat LeBron. And without a second superstar. So that, I mean, that itself is almost like the prototype for why this matchup. There is no, you know, uh, you know, I knew that after talking about this, there wasn't going to be just one kind of easy answer or like genie style answer, because it, it almost makes no sense. As, as you led with 12, year, uh, 12 years in a row, one of them is in the finals and never against the other, which, of course, is, you know, the, the sole topic of this discussion. But during that time, nothing but regular season wins by both guys. Right, right, right. It looks so that's the to happen. I mean, you know, teams that were just about built, that were built especially with LeBron leading Cleveland in 07 to that surprising finals appearance and establishing himself as somebody who can be as much of a one-man show as anybody. Well, let me and, tell you. Yeah, let me tell you something. I still blame Danny Ferry. Oh, uh, I think that he should, he should take the lion's share of blame for sure. I would love to level a little of this on the Bus family as well. Just because, uh, you know, that they're not good people. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's the thing. And maybe even, maybe this is grasping, but if the Cavaliers acquired Jameson one year earlier, one year earlier, because, you know, you, you know, you were there, he was really strong in DC. Very, a very, very good player who, uh, you know, maybe if he, joins Cleveland in 09 along with Mo Williams and some of those other guys, maybe that's the move where they're able to beat Orlando. Yeah, and, absolutely. And 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 be in the finals. You say there are no easy answers. I say we're not looking hard enough. Yes, probably true. Laziness as as usual. Yes. <laughs> well 
Shiraz, uh, you, you've been a, you've been a joy and a scamp. Um, <laughs> very much enjoyed. Thank you, time. my friend. That's the nicest thing that's been said to me in, in 2024. Nice. <laughs> so, yo, uh, everybody out there listening, thank you so much. Thank you to the nation magazine for sponsoring this podcast. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. I'm Dave Zirin. If you have any thoughts about this, you can always hit me up at Edge of Sports. We are out of here. Peace.